0: Today on Radical with David Platt, we have a special announcement, and to help me make that announcement, I am joined by the newest member of the Radical team, Stacy Martin. Stacy serves as the communications director at Radical, and Stacy, it's so great to have you.
1: Thanks so much, Thomas. I'm really excited to be a part of the Radical team, and it's amazing to be a part of an organization whose number one priority is reaching the unreached with the good news of Christ.
0: Stacy, you serve as the Communications Director. Maybe you can share with the Radical Podcast community a little bit about what that entails.
1: My job is to tell the story of what God is doing among the nations through Radical and then help people find their place in it. What does it look like for us as Christians to have a heart for the nations and then make it a priority to get the gospel to the hardest to reach people and places on earth?
0: Well, in addition to that, Stacey, I'm thrilled to introduce you as the new host of the Radical with David Platt podcast.
1: Man, thanks so much, Thomas. What an incredible privilege it is to be a part of the Radical podcast community.
0: Well, I've had the joy of hosting this program for the last half decade, back when I first joined the Radical team, and have loved interacting with wonderful people across the globe who are united around one singular mission, to make the name of Jesus known where he is not now known. And it truly has been one of the great honors of my life. So thank you to the Radical community. And you are in great hands with Stacy. I'm so excited for what the future has in store on the Radical with David Platt podcast. So Stacy, where is Pastor David taking us today?
1: So every Christian has unique supernatural abilities, gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? And did you know that those gifts, those supernatural gifts, are designed to bring everlasting good to other people? When Christians gather weekly to worship the Lord, we are a part of a supernatural gathering that's designed for our everlasting good. In this message from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 40, David Platt points to the significance and purpose of spiritual gifts and the church's corporate worship. Rather than being self-focused, passive spectators, we are to actively seek to serve others as we pursue the ultimate purpose of our gatherings and of our lives, the glory of God.
0: So here's Pastor David with a sermon titled Supernatural Gifts and Supernatural Gatherings from 1 Corinthians chapter 14.
2: Well, in addition to welcoming those of you in this room, I want to welcome those of you in Prince William and Montgomery County and Loudoun, as well as those of you who are online. We invite you to join us in person. It's good to be together around God's Word before we open God's Word, though, I want to ask you a couple of questions. One, what if I told you that if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you have unique supernatural abilities specifically designed to bring everlasting good to other people? If that was true... Wouldn't you want to use those supernatural abilities for others' everlasting good? And wouldn't it be a waste, in a sense, of your life if you were not using those supernatural abilities for others' everlasting good? Then, second question. What if I told you that if you are not a Christian, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus that you have come in this moment into a supernatural gathering that is specifically designed for your everlasting good. If that was true, wouldn't you want to get the most out of this gathering? And wouldn't you want people working to make sure that this gathering is focused on your everlasting good? So my aim in the next few minutes is to show you that both of these things are true. That every follower of Jesus has supernatural abilities to bring everlasting good to other people. And that this gathering right now is designed by God to bring everlasting good to non-Christians. If we will do this gathering right, and if you will open your heart to encountering God in it. So, with that set up, let me invite you, if you have a Bible, or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Feel free to use Table of Contents if you need to, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're actually gonna land today in 1 Corinthians 14, but we're gonna take off from 1 Corinthians 12. We are in the final week of a series that we've been calling Supernatural Church. And God's word has been so good and so timely to lead us through these days. Today, I wanna close out this series on what it means to be a supernatural church by covering the two topics that I mentioned at the start. So one, spiritual, supernatural gifts that every follower of Jesus has in the church, and two, spiritual gatherings of the church. So what makes this gathering spiritual or supernatural in such a way that it has power to change people's lives forever? So let's start with the first topic, spiritual gifts in the church, because I really want to make sure you have a biblical definition of spiritual gifts before we move on from these chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So you might write this down, spiritual gifts, Are unique supernatural abilities given to every Christian to build up the church for the glory of Christ. Every word there matters. So listen really closely, especially if you are a follower of Jesus. God has given you unique supernatural abilities to build up other people, specifically the church, for the glory of Jesus. Think about what this means. Unique, supernatural abilities. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one that we looked at uh, a few weeks ago. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You need to know, as a Christian, that God has given you gifts that are spiritual, supernatural in nature. This is important, so this is different from just like natural talents or gifts which also come from God. Every good gift comes from God, but everyone has gifts and talents like that. God has given many people gifts in the arts, or music, or intelligence, or leadership, or administration, or athletics. Like, just turn on the Olympics these days, and you see gifted, talented athletes, right? I don't know if you saw the women's hundred meter race with Jamaica coming in first, second, and third, with the winner finishing in a world record 10.61 seconds. Like no other woman in all the world can run or has ever run that fast. I would say that's a gift. Or how about Katie Ledecky, born in D.C., raised in Bethesda, shout out to Moco, who in the 800 meter swim, did you see this? She has the top 23 fastest times ever in the world. Are you serious? Like she got the fastest time and then she beat it and she beat it again and it beat it again. 22 times, like one through 12, 13 through 23, <laughs> all one person. That's amazing. She keeps topping her own record and no one else in the world can do that. But here's the deal. Even these are unique natural abilities. What the Bible's talking about here is beyond natural. It's supernatural. Only for those who have the supernatural spirit of God dwelling in them. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then you would not have these spiritual supernatural gifts because God's spirit does not live inside of you right now. These spiritual gifts are uniquely supernatural, and it's interesting. So you look here in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and you see different spiritual gifts mentioned. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 lists supernatural gifts of wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing and the working of miracles and prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, uh, tongues, the interpretation of tongues. But even that list of spiritual gifts is not exhaustive. Later down in this same passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, you see some of those same gifts listed, but you also see others added. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And then you go to other places in the Bible, like Romans chapter 12, and you see prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, acts of mercy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which we studied just a few months ago, we saw that marriage and singleness are described as gifts from God and the same word that's used here in 1 Corinthians 7 7 is the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 to describe gifts there. So the picture is God gives his people a variety of unique gifts And they play out in a variety of unique ways. Think about gifts of service, for example. There are a million ways that service might play out within the church in supernatural ways. The point is God has given unique supernatural abilities to each and every Christian. That's the next part of this definition. These supernatural abilities given to every follower of Jesus. Every, to use language from First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, brother or sister in Christ who has confessed Jesus as Lord according to the power of the Spirit of God. So if you are not a Christian, yeah, let me explain what the Bible's saying here. And really all over the Bible, just as I was sharing with it, an extremely kind Uber driver from Pakistan last night. Every single person in the world, including every single one of us, has been created by God. We are not the products of natural selection, but of supernatural creation. God has made us for perfect relationship with Him and with each other. The problem in the world though, and the problem in each of our lives, is that we have all turned aside from God and His ways to ourselves and our own ways, like we know better than God what is best for our lives. The Bible calls this sin, and our sin separates us from God. And if we die in this state of separation from God, we will experience everlasting judgment before God, forever, for all of eternity. But the good news of the Bible is that God loves us and has sent Jesus to live a life of no sin, and then even though he had no sin for which to die, to die on a cross for sinners. And then to rise from the grave in victory over sin and death. So that anyone, anywhere, no matter who you are or what you have done, if you will trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, God will forgive you of all your sin and restore you to relationship with him forever. This is the good news of the Bible and it can happen for you today. I'll talk about this more in a minute, but this is what I mean when I say this is a spiritual, supernatural gathering designed by God for your everlasting good. What we have sung, what we are seeing in God's word is intended to help you see God's love for you in Jesus. That you might trust in him as Lord, and you might have eternal life with God. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And follow this. So when you trust in Jesus for eternal life, God not only forgives you of all your sin, as if that's not enough, He also fills you with His Holy Spirit. He makes you an entirely new person with His Spirit living inside of you, which is what 1 Corinthians 12, so now to come back to this passage, goes on to say, to each, and each here is talking about every follower of Jesus who trusts in Jesus as Lord, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is an awesome truth. Don't miss it, Christian. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. Children who are followers of Jesus, this includes you. And it doesn't matter if you became a Christian 50 years ago or you became a Christian yesterday. His Spirit, the Spirit of God, is living inside of each of us. He's given every single Christian, without exception, unique supernatural abilities to build up the church. Remember, that's the language we saw all over 1 Corinthians 14 last week for the upbuilding of the church. First Corinthians 14:12, "Since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church." First Corinthians 14:26, "Let all things be done for building up. That's the purpose of these supernatural abilities, to strengthen and build up other people's faith. Remember Romans 1: 11 and 12. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. That's the language. What's the purpose? To strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This verse is why I would encourage every Christian not to get hung up on which spiritual gifts you may or may not have. Instead, get hung up on strengthening and encouraging other people's faith. And as you do that, you will realize you have supernatural ability and gifts for that purpose. Let me say that one more time. Don't miss it. Look for opportunities to strengthen and encourage other people's faith. And as you do that, you will begin to realize you have supernatural abilities for that purpose, by the Spirit of God in you. Specifically, this is where I would encourage every single follower of Jesus within the sound of my voice, get plugged into building up the church, other people's faith in the church. Like First, commit yourself to a church. Commit yourself to building up a particular body of Christ and look for specific opportunities to encourage others' faith in it. Whether that's serving in preschool or children or student ministry, what a golden opportunity to build up others' faith. Or to serve in welcoming people to church, helping marriages in church, encouraging this or that group in the church, serving those with special needs. There are so many opportunities. And what we are seeing in God's word, follow this, is if you are not using the supernatural abilities that God has given you to strengthen others' faith in the church, then you are neglecting the Holy Spirit of God in your life. You are missing out on what God has supernaturally gifted you to do and others are missing out on everlasting good. It's like you have supernatural ability to run or swim a world record time and you are sitting on the couch with it. Don't waste what God has given you. Use your gifts for others good and for his glory. That's the last part of our definition of spiritual gifts here. They're supernatural abilities given every Christian to build up the church for the glory of Christ. So I'll close out this topic by pointing us to Ephesians 4, another passage that talks about spiritual gifts in the church. And I want you to see how that passage ends. Ephesians 4:15 and 16. Imagery here is talking about how the church is the body of Christ and Christ is the head of the church. So listen to this, Ephesians 4, 15, says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you hear that? When each part, each member of the church is working properly, when each person is using their supernatural abilities to build up the church, then we will together exalt the head of the church who is Christ. Do you realize what this is saying? If you, with the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, with spiritual supernatural abilities from him inside of you, if you are not using those gifts to the full, then Christ is not getting all the glory he deserves in the church. God is saying in his word, you, right where you are sitting, Christian, you are integral to Jesus being glorified in the church. Jesus will not be fully glorified in the church if you are sitting on the sidelines with the supernatural abilities he has given to you. Now, I want to come back to practical application of spiritual gifts in your life in just a minute. But I also don't want us to miss the specific emphasis at the end of these three chapters, last part of 1 Corinthians 14, on the spiritual supernatural nature of gatherings of the church. So after all this talk about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, the importance of love in chapter 13, building up the body of Christ in the first part of chapter 14, This is how this section of 1 Corinthians closes. Follow along with me as I read 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 through 40. The Bible says what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. We'll come back to this. You see the thought bubbles just all across the room, through the screen, so we'll come back to that. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. All right, so much like last week, we're not going to be able to examine every single word in this passage today. We will hit that particular section that I paused on, but I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees because this passage, so maybe more than any other place in the Bible, gives us a glimpse into what was practically happening when the earliest churches gathered together for worship. So I want to show you Real quickly, a list of characteristics that make gatherings of the church spiritual or supernatural in nature. So you might write these down. Number one, community participation. Community participation. You read this passage and you see all the different people and gifts involved in the gathering of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26 said, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Each one, each person in the church involved in this supernatural gathering of the church, community participation. Now, keep in mind, the gatherings of the church at Corinth were likely much smaller than the kind of gathering we're in right now. Most of these gatherings were likely in homes, so the setting was a bit different. It's not like we're going to come together with thousands of people and everybody gets to pick a song to sing. Everybody teaches a lesson and so on. At the same time, there's obviously a picture here of every person being involved in worship. And this is so important to remember, particularly in rooms like we're gathered in right now where there's one or a few people on a stage or even a screen, and other people sitting in seats watching, we need to remember that no one on this stage, including me, I am not a performer here. Amen. And you are not the audience. Now, there's one audience in this gathering, and we are all gathered to worship Him. God is our audience and we are all participants at all times. I am preaching, we are listening right now for the glory of God. Amen. We sing for the glory of God. We pray together for the glory of God. God is the audience and we assemble before Him to worship. I mentioned this last week, but even back up in 1 Corinthians fourteen sixteen, remember the Bible talked about worshiping in such a way that people in the gathering together can say amen. This word of affirmation that means let it be or may it be so. And the clear implication is that when the word of God is proclaimed or the glory of God is sung, when petitions before God are prayed, then the gathering of God's people should in a participatory way be saying out loud together, "Amen." Amen. amen. All right, starting to get it. You're starting to get it. This is where I want to encourage you biblically to participate in this way, in worship. Do not be a passive observer in worship. God's not called you to be passive, but to be an active participant in his worship. So when someone prays something that you agree with, say, and feel free to say it loud, amen. And this will, this will help even keep your mind from wandering in worship. How easy it is when we pray for your mind just to kind of check out. Like, don't be passive in prayer. We're praying together before God. So, amen. Say that. When it's time to sing, don't just stand and watch. Join in and sing. Lift your voices, lift your hands, sing and shout. Amen. And then, as this word is preached, the truths of God's word proclaimed say and feel free to say it loud amen and praise the Lord or that's right or clap your hands and when somebody shouts or claps don't anybody else think why doesn't he or she just settle down when the Bible is actually calling you to wake up. Now we're starting to get it. I promise, this is not just me like looking for amens in a sermon. (laughs) You look in the Bible. Sure, there are times when silence is honoring to God. But on a whole in his word, God has not assembled his people together for isolated, quiet, passive observation of worship. He assembles his people together for engaging in participatory worship before him. And this is not just be careful in your mind. Don't make this a matter of just personal taste or cultural tradition. Thinking, well, that's just not me. Or, well, that's not the way I grew up. And this is biblical far before it's personal or cultural. And we read this in Deuteronomy a few weeks ago in our Bible reading. God's people shouting amen across the way to each other. How about Nehemiah 8, 5 and 6? Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. All the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. All Ezra did was open God's word. He just opened it. And they started shouting, lifting their hands, bowing down with their faces on the ground. And and don't forget, this is where all of eternity is headed. Revelation 5, 13 and 14 gives us a picture of heavenly worship. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. If you don't like to shout amen, you're not going to like heaven very much. Because when worshipful beings see God in all of his glory, when they hear God being exalted in his word, they can't sit silent. They shout, amen, and we are worshipful beings. So please mark it down. Let it soak into all of our hearts. May we grow in this. Worship is not a spectator sport for any follower of Jesus. No, every follower of Jesus should come into the gathering of the church ready to participate, to join in worship before our great God, our audience. Community participation. I've got to speed this list up if we're going to hit all these. Uh, so second characteristic and why community participation is so important is for the sake of church edification, church edification. So back to verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14, let all these things, everything, everything be done in worship for building up. Everything in the church's gathering has one purpose, to build up the church, edify the church, gatherings of the church, spiritually, supernaturally designed by God to encourage your faith today and next week and next week and every time the church gathers amidst all the things we're walking through in our lives, to sing, to pray, to hear God's word, and have our faith built up by that singing and praying and celebrating the Lord's Supper and hearing testimonies of people's lives changed through baptism. God has designed our gathering together to build up our faith. and I won't repeat the whole sermon here that I preached in late May about the importance of physically gathering as a church but especially those of you who are online as soon as you are physically able to do so we encourage you biblically to gather with the church God has designed our being together to edify each other's faith to be in a room where you're seeing faces and hearing voices singing and shouting and Trend, listening to the word and sitting under it and encouraging each other with testimonies. Like so many things that God has designed for this to be supernatural, spiritual by edifying our faith. That leads to the third characteristic of worship we see in this passage, clear order. Clear order. So then you get into specific instructions in Corinth about tongues and interpretation and prophecy. And while we're not gonna dive into all the details around those, the point I want you to see, there's a clear emphasis on how those gifts are used. At different times, in different ways, even in a house gathering, all the more so in a gathering the size of ours, it would be extremely unhealthy for people to speak whenever they wanted or do whatever they wanted. That would lead to chaos. Biblically, this is why we plan to sing and pray and study God's word and participate in the Lord's Supper in an orderly way. It's where this whole passage ends, 1 Corinthians 14 40. All things should be done decently and in order. That clear order necessitates self control in the church. That's a fourth characteristic. The instructions for the Corinthian church were clear this person would speak, that person would interpret. At appropriate times, this person or that person should keep silent. Worship absent self-control among the members would be displeasing to God and dishonoring to each other, which leads to another characteristic of spiritual gatherings of the church, peace that reflects God. Peace that reflects God. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Where the Holy Spirit of God is leading, there will be peace and order. Confusion or chaos in a church gathering is a sure sign that another spirit beside the spirit of God is at work. Because where the God of peace is at work, there will not be confusion or chaos. And not just peace that reflects God, but spiritual supernatural gatherings of the church demonstrate honor for one another. And this is where we come to verses 34 and 35, which talk about women keeping silent in the churches. And I don't wanna skip over these verses because I know there's all kinds of questions coming up, particularly in a church where women speak in the gatherings of our church. And for the sake of time, we don't have the capacity to dive in depth into every word here, but suffice to say, so remember, and we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. These verses definitely don't mean that women should never speak in church. Just three chapters before this, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible gave specific instructions for when women pray or prophesy in the church. But you'll remember, when we walked through 1 Corinthians 11, we saw that the church at Corinth was minimizing the good God-given distinctions between men and women, as well as God's good God-given design for marriage in a way that a husband and a wife honor each other. We saw how in this historical cultural context at Corinth at that time, there were wives praying and prophesying in the gathering of a church in a way that was communicating dishonor or even shame toward their husbands. So now, three chapters later in 1 Corinthians 14, we see similar language As Paul again addresses, some women, again likely wives, who were apparently speaking in the church in ways that brought shame to their husbands in that historical cultural context. We don't know all the specific circumstances behind what that looked like, but we see The Bible here giving specific instructions, much like we saw in 1 Corinthians 11 into a specific context in Corinth in the first century for women and specifically wives to not speak in a way that would bring dishonor to their husbands. In such a way that as we step back when we talked about looking, what's the timeless truth for all people of all time? We would absolutely say, and we see it all over scripture, that women or men should not speak in a way that dishonors one another, or specifically dishonors their spouse in the gathering of the church. So we wanna make sure that we are careful that in anyone speaking in the church, in any context, that we are speaking with honor for one another. I know that's a quick overview, but spiritual, supernatural gatherings of the church are designed by God to display honor for others. Ultimately, is. A part of this last characteristic we see in this passage of spiritual supernatural gatherings of the church, they should display a reverence for God's word. In pointed language, this passage closes by basically saying, if you reject these things above, if you think worship is a spectator sport, if you are not focused on the edification of the body, if you promote disorder, If you display a lack of self-control, if you create confusion, or communicate dishonor to others, whether your husband or your wife, or those leading in the church, then you are standing against God and His Word. Straight from verse 38, the language is strong. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. In other words, here, she who disregards these instructions from God for gatherings in the church should be disregarded from gatherings in the church. Because these characteristics are what make gatherings of the church spiritual, supernatural, distinct from every other gathering in the world. And the church has a responsibility to make sure these things are true of its gatherings. So here's what I want to do as we close. In light of these two topics in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, spiritual gifts in the church, spiritual gatherings of the church, I want to ask you to reflect on two questions. And the first is for those of you who are Christians. The second is for those of you who are not yet Christians. So first, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has clearly said in his word that he has given you supernatural abilities to build up the church for the glory of Christ. So here's the first question. What is one specific way you might use your spiritual gifts to build up your church for the glory of Christ? And the language there is intentional. By your church, I mean the local church to which you are committed. And if you're not committed to a local church where you can follow the leadership of that church as a member in it, I exhort you biblically to do so and ask what are specific ways I can build up others' faith in my church and the church family I'm a part of, not sometime in the future, but right now. And some of you are already using your spiritual gifts in the church in all kinds of ways. So maybe this is just encouragement from the Spirit of God in what you are already doing and reminder that you have supernatural ability in you to do it. Or maybe this is an opportunity for you to pause and say, is there anything God is leading me to do to encourage others in faith beyond what I'm doing now? Just to ask the question and discern what God's spirit in you is saying to you. Regardless, whatever, however you respond to this, do not sit on the sidelines with supernatural ability inside of you. And then the second question, for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus in this gathering, I wanna ask you to consider, what is keeping you from trusting God's love for you in your life? Our sincere hope in this gathering is that you would see the love of God for you in a way that leads you to trust his love in your life. God sent his son to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sin, restored to relationship with him. What is keeping you from trusting God's love for you? And as you answer that question, I'm hoping that for some of you, for the first time today, you think, I can't think of a reason I don't know why I should not trust today in God's love for me through Jesus. And if that's the case, I invite you to see that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to your heart right now, doing what he's designed this gathering to do, inviting you to receive God's love, to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. I invite you, urge you, to trust in his love today. Or if, for whatever reason, you're not ready to do that, then I would invite you to answer this question, what's keeping you from taking that step, and then could I just encourage you to share that, whatever your answer to this question would be, with someone else. I think most every follower of Jesus I know has had questions about Jesus, and they took the time to ask them, even if they didn't want to at first. I think of one man I heard about this week, an older man named Mike, who has been battling with cancer for the last 20 years of his life, and over time has basically become immobile. And for all of his life, he's believed that God was either distant from him or maybe even upset with him, that somehow he needed to earn God's favor or love. But over the course of this last year, Mike's son, Joey, along with Joey's wife and kids who have become a part of NBC, moved in with Mike. And because of worship being online, in Joey's words to me, he said, dad's immobility made it so that he pretty much had no choice other than to be in the room while we streamed church every Sunday. And he heard worship music, and the gospel preached every week while we and others were praying for yours and Pastor Mike's messages to take root in his heart. Well, not too long ago, Mike's condition worsened and he was in the hospital where Joey came and during one of his visits with his dad, he sat down and he read Romans 5 and 6 to his dad and Joey said, after I read these chapters, dad was moved to tears. He realized that God loves him and he confessed that Jesus is Lord and his only hope in life and death. Mike's condition has worsened since then and he may not have long to live. His throat is so swollen that he can hardly eat or breathe. But if he's able to listen and watch today, I just want to say, Mike, we love you as our new brother in Christ. I I hope you hear participation from locations across this city right now, saying we love you, we are praying for you, we praise God for what he has done in your heart, and we look forward, no matter what happens, to worshiping God with you for all of eternity. That's thousands of people saying that to you right now, Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, what I shared at the beginning of our time together is true. Christian, you have unique, supernatural abilities designed by God to bring others everlasting good. Don't sit on the sidelines with them. Don't waste them. And non-Christian friend, this spiritual, supernatural gathering is designed by God for your everlasting good. If only you will open your heart to Him. So let's bow our heads before Him. Then, our audience, oh God, we've gathered together today to hear from you, to sing to you, to pray to you, to build up each other's faith in you, to see people come to faith in you. So we pray, oh God, that you would be glorified in all these ways be glorified in the unique supernatural abilities you have given to every Christian, every single one of your children in your church. May may we all use these gifts to the full for your glory. And God, we pray that every week we gather together, there would be spiritual supernatural work Happening in hearts, building up faith and leading people to faith. God, we praise you for what you've done in Mike's heart as he has watched week after week after week. And God, we pray that you would do it in multitudes more. Today, next week, the next week, this fall, as we dive into the book of Mark and we see Jesus week after week, we pray that many people, even as we've been reading in the book of Acts, God, may many more be added to our number. May many more come to know your grace and your love. May your word, even as we read this morning in Acts 19, may your word increase and prevail mightily and grant us as a church family undistracted, undeterred focus toward that end. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people together said amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Wow, what a powerful word from 1 Corinthians that every Christian has these unique and supernatural abilities given to us by the Holy Spirit. Well, it's not too late to join us for the Radical Intensive coming up September 27th and 28th in the Washington, D.C. metro area. The Radical Intensive is a two-day event for lead pastors, decision-making senior leaders, and their teams to encourage and equip you to lead your church to make disciples of all nations, particularly in places of most urgent spiritual and physical need. You can find all you need to know about the Radical Intensive by visiting Radical Intensive. And we hope you join us. It's an incredible two-day event that will help you and your team reimagine your resources and mission for the sake of the lost, specifically the unreached. So join us and check it out at RadicalIntensive.com.
1: Thomas, I really think the idea of no longer being a passive spectator during worship is incredibly convicting. I appreciate the reminder of what God designed corporate worship to look like, because I know, at least for me, it can be so easy to slide back into the quote unquote, it's about me mentality. This summer, you can help get humanitarian care and access to the gospel to some of the world's hardest to reach people and places. Less than 1% of funds given to missions goes to unreached people and places. You can change that. Partner with Radical Today to make it more than 1%. Visit urgentneeds.org to learn how.
0: Well, thank you for joining us on this, my final episode. radical with david platt podcast as always you can find thousands of more gospel-centered nations-minded resources at radical.net i'm thomas bowen signing off one last time
1: and i'll see you next week for another episode of radical with david platt until then join us at radical.net